masks and real disguise experts, exploding gum, eyeglasses with cameras, liquid nitrogen, bombs in your head, microdots, eye scanning devices, and more as we decode the gadgets in Mission Impossible 1 through 3. Here we go. Hi, this is Dan Silvestri. And Tom Pizzotto. Of SpyMovieNavigator.com and our show Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. So let's start taking apart the gadgets in Mission Impossible. Remember, please subscribe to our show. All right, let's start at square one. Mission Impossible 1. The first Mission Impossible movie. 1996. At first thought, we didn't remember many gadgets in this movie, other than the masks and gadgets in the vault scene. But after looking more closely, there are quite a few gadgets in the first Mission Impossible movie. Of course, the masks are the main gadgets in the movie, and somewhat believable, though they perform flawlessly in the movies. Well, all but one. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> That's true. And the, and, and the recording on the later set, the later movies. I always thought body structure, mannerisms, and all that kind of stuff would give things away. But, okay. All right. Well, now, wait. Actually, <laughs> you say that. If Let's think about the, the body structure could give it away. Yeah. But then again, how do you not trust your lying eyes? You're seeing the person's face. Yeah. But if you had somebody like Shaquille O'Neal, who's seven <laughs> foot one... <laughs> and with an Ethan Hunt mask on and yeah, Tom Cruise at five seven, <laughs> yeah, you might you might catch that disparity. Yeah. Now the other thing is that the first mask that Ethan wears is he's portraying the Russian or Belarus guy, whatever he is, in Minsk, and he pulls him. We don't know who that guy was, so we have no frame of reference right. as to how that thing was. Mm -hmm. But later in the movie, Ethan impersonates Jim Phelps. Right. Phelps is played by John Voight, who's yeah. six foot three. Yeah. So you might catch that one, except when he's got the Phelps mask on, he's sitting down in the train car. That's true. So you might not catch that disparity. And it isn't until after the mask is removed that he stands up. Yeah. And there's nobody standing next to him. So maybe we can give them a pass on yeah, that. Yeah, I might give them a pass on that. All right. I mean, although if you're tall, you're sitting down, your legs are long anyway. All right, all right. Yeah, right. but you're in the train car, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. All right, so let's, let, let's move on to the next gadget. And the next gadget is something that we're going to talk about for each of the Mission Impossible movies. Yeah. And it was in the TV show, too. Mm -hmm. And namely, we're going to talk about the device that plays the mission statement, which is really in the TV show. It was called the tape sequence. Yeah. So in this first Mission Impossible movie... It's a taped movie that Phelps watches on the plane. Now, the amazing thing to me here is the tape player on the plane can play that tape and still deal with it self-destructing. Although I did like the fact that, like it normally does when it self-destructs, there's a poof of smoke. Yeah. And Phelps lights a cigarette <laughs> yeah. to cover up yeah. the poof of smoke out of the player. So that I thought that was very cool. Yeah. I mean, you would think you wouldn't be having self-destructing devices on a plane, but okay. All right. <laughs> we'll run with it for now. <laughs> All right. And what is that? You, what is that you always say? Your, your willingness suspension of disbelief? Yeah, the willing suspension <laughs> of disbelief. And we got it. All right. <laughs> so now I, I like the Christmas colors of the stick of gum here. It's half green and half red. And this is a cool device, right? Mix the red and the green, and you don't get some new hybrid color. You get an explosion about five seconds later. <laughs> <laughs> we see the aquarium blow because of this, and it's used again at the end in the train chase. 
blowing up the helicopter. Now, he must have had a whole pack of this gum with him. Yeah, and you never <laughs> saw him take it out of a pack or no, unwrap it. No, no, it must be cheaper by the pack or whatever. Sure, we wouldn't chew it, but we can easily believe that mixing two volatile substances together could cause an explosion. So, yeah, I could believe that. Easy. Yeah, it, it's it's a very cool gadget, and the scene where Jack Harmon explains it to Ethan is very well done. However, I do have one question. If you have to smash the two sides together to get the explosion, <laughs> yeah. how can you have a stick of gum where the red and the green are adjacent to each other? They're touching in the middle. Wouldn't that set it off? Uh, and <laughs> I guess I have a second question. How did that gum stick to the aquarium? It wasn't chewed. Oh, he on. smashes it together. He throws it at the aquarium. It looks like it's a chewed piece of gum, but he obviously couldn't chew it. No. <laughs> I'm missing something there. Yeah, I mean, there's a built-in buffer zone between the green and the red. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then it has very special sticking capabilities. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, it's, maybe it's an early adaptation of the glue gloves that, that Ethan wears in a later movie. Yeah, there you go. All right. Okay, now another gadget that Harmon shows Sarah Davies are the the eyeglasses that have the built-in camera that can wirelessly yeah. communicate the image it sees. Uh, that's cool. All right, so the camera in it must capture audio as well as the video. Jack's watch has a microphone in it so he can talk to it and Sarah can hear him in the earpiece that she wears. Yeah. But, um, yeah so that's, that's kind of cool. Yeah, the camera and the glasses thing gets used by Hunt, but it's Sarah who Jack shows it to, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of weird because he shows her, and they're they're like they're like plastic horn rim kind of glass, yeah. you know, they're a plastic thicker glasses that he's showing to her. Yeah, yeah, the glasses Hunt wears are different in style than the glasses that yeah. Jack showed Sarah. You're right. His glasses are the ones used in the next scene that they leave behind to capture when Galitzin copies the files onto the disc. Also. Something similar is used when the team posing as firefighters enter Langley. Now, Hunt looks at the guards as Luther watches on a monitor. So, okay, you can see the whole technology. It's kind of cool, the glasses. Yeah, I like and it. it has, and it has to be used again because later when Phelps fakes his death, yeah. you see his bloody hand, so there's got to be a camera. He does have glasses on there. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. He's got there. And of course, and the important. camera happens to be synced up so that Ethan can watch the death on his watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, of course. <laughs> All right. Hannah also has glasses, this time sunglasses inside during a formal event. Wearing yeah, sun. who would do that? That doesn't look too no, inconspicuous. You're not going to look suspicious there. Yeah. <laughs> so these glasses can change their tint when she presses something on the frame though of the lens so they're kind of like transitional glasses except you have control over when they're going to change so that's kind of cool now remember pull the shade is what she's told in her earpiece this darkens the lenses so that hannah well can actually see. it doesn't pull the shade doesn't darken it she has to hit something to yeah. darken it yeah. yeah so that that so she's going to darken the lenses so that hannah could see whatever that stuff that sarah sprays on Galitzin. And, and he wouldn't have felt that. I mean, it was a big enough area of the back of the head. How does he not feel that spray? Yeah. yeah so, right. so, so glasses are an important part of yeah, this movie. Yeah, they are. 
as the Mission Impossible movies evolve, you'll see f- cell phones and computers take up more importance than the glasses do here. Although, in the next Mission Impossible that we're going to talk about, the tape sequence is played on a very cool pair of sunglasses. Yes. We'll, we'll talk about that when we get to that movie. Yeah. They use the glasses in a lot of different ways in this movie. So, let's take off the glasses and move on to another gadget. <laughs> Well, you can't take off the glasses to talk about this gadget quite yet because it's the eyeglass-mounted lights uh, that Jack has to see in the elevator shaft. All right. So we'll see him again on Ethan and Luther and Krieger in the vault scene. To me, it almost looks like they took some mini mag lights and glued them onto <laughs> an eyeglass frame. But they're effective. In the YouTube video that we talk about the vault scene, here in Mission Impossible 1, we show you a contrast between what that light looks like on Ethan going into the vault versus what it looked like in the movie Top Copy, where that scene was, the idea was originated. Yeah. All right, so Jack puts a gadget on a box mounted on a wall. It appears that this is supposed to let him control the elevator. Another gadget is used to override the fingerprint recognition software to allow Sarah's fingerprint to open the door. Now, that second one there is used later in another Mission Impossible movie or a very similar thing. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in in the second episode we do on the Mission Impossible gadgets. All right. So now we move to the vault scene at Langley here. All right. Claire puts that lint on Don Lowe's jacket that allows him to be tracked. Now, this, this had to be a nod to the radioactive lint in Honor Majesty's Secret Service. That was never used in the movie, but remember... Cube shows uh, M the beginning of the movie is like, a, and M's it, like, oh yeah, it's like, yeah, get rid of that. I don't want. And and Q <laughs> said it was for tracking, so this is the yeah. logical extension of it. I think it's great. Yeah, there you go. All right. Okay, now Dan, you know that I like to talk about lasers in spy movies. Yeah, they're used a lot in spy movies. As Ethan prepares to enter the vault, he has a gadget that's used to reroute the laser pattern so that the alarm won't go off. I have no idea how this thing worked. It looked like there was some kind of a mirror, but it was kind of bizarre. But in that same thing, when he shuts off the laser, there's an arm that goes through the grate and remotely, without touching it, unscrews the screws (laughs) for the grate so they can get into the vault. That'd be a handy little uh, device. Well, and the best part is it doesn't just, it it doesn't, without touching it, unscrew it. But then it catches the screw so it doesn't drop to the ground, setting (laughs) off the sensors on the floor. Handy little device. (laughs) Very useful. And in that vault scene, Ethan has the gadget to monitor sound decibels. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know the thing with the lights that move when they say toast? This thing is huge. You would think they'd have a smaller device for that. (laughs) Yeah, they can glue a mag light to glasses and have a wristwatch TV screen, but you need this huge thing to monitor sound decibels? Yeah, I think it would be a tiny little thing you hold in your hand or something. Jason, all right. All right, so we get out of the the vault scene. There's not a lot of gadgets really in the scene itself, and we're on the train, and Luther has that jamming device that allows it so that Max can't upload the file she needs to upload. And I'm not exactly sure how that worked because Luther was typing on his... Apple PowerBook 540C, which was a product placement. (laughs) And then sitting next to the PowerBook was another product placement, which was the Nokia 232 phone. Now, it appears that the phone was the actual jamming device. It didn't really make sense because I wouldn't understand how it would have worked. And there was a different light that went on when it was supposedly jamming. 
but it looked pretty cool. Yeah, all right. So in No Time to Die, doesn't Bond have a jamming device too that disrupts the electronic implanted body devices like for instance, an eye or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember if it was a jam. I don't remember how that worked, but yeah, there was something there. Yeah, I think so. All right, that's the gadgets in Mission Impossible 1. Let's move on to Mission Impossible 2. All right, Mission Impossible 2, which is from the year 2000, it starts off with Dr. Nikorovich's use of a cool gadget to inject himself with Chimera. We find out later, of course, we know it's Chimera. That injector gun is an ominous-looking gadget, that we'll see more of in this movie. Yeah, so, I don't know if those are like real things or not, but that thing is so cool looking. It is cool looking. It's probably a real thing. I mean, it looked it looked pretty neat and it looked believable. They have injection guns for shots and stuff like that now, I think. So, as as Dr. Nikorovich leaves the building, he looks at a countdown timer. Now, hang on a second, Dan. I froze <laughs> the frame here. Yeah. That looks to me like it could be a pager with a countdown timer built into it. Okay. The screen has T3 on it and countdown on the display. So our guess is that there are multiple things we could do with time on that device and a countdown timer might be the third one, the T3. Now I'm saying all that because I used to have this small little device that had a countdown timer on it and it could do some other time stuff. And with the countdown timer, when it hit the, the zeros, yeah, it would vibrate. So okay. I would use that in presentations, and 15 minutes before I was supposed to be done, that thing would kick off. Right. So I knew it was about time to either speed up or start asking for more questions or whatever. <laughs> All right. All right. So let's move on. We mentioned this later from Mission Impossible, but here in 2, the masks are enhanced with the addition of voice synthesizers so That's that you not addition. only look like the person you're impersonating with the mask, but you sound like them as well. This is a great addition to the franchise. It's very cool. Believable? Absolutely. I, I'm not so sure how believable it is, but I don't know. What do you guys think out there? We saw Q fabricate one of these in Diamonds Are Forever. And didn't he make yeah. it like as a Christmas gift for his nephews or grandkids or something? Yes. Yeah, so, yes. So we've I seen think the, this I concept. think this is believable. I think the technology probably could be made to do that. All right. So that's good. Okay. okay. So now one thing here about the first use of masks in this movie. So in this movie, the first time we see the mask, Going back to what we were talking about with masks and can you really believe that you wouldn't identify that this is the person? Dugray Scott, who plays Sean Ambrose, is six feet tall. Again, Tom Cruise is 5'7". <laughs> I say that because I'm only an inch taller. Um, but there is a big enough difference between six feet and 5'7 yeah. that I would think that Nikorovich would have noticed something odd. Mm-hmm. I mean, the actor that plays Nikorovich is 5'10". So you'd think the good doctor would notice if Dimitri was now all of a sudden two inches taller than him yeah. instead of three inches shorter. And then later, Hugh Stamp and Ethan have masks of each other on, and Stamp is played by Richard Roxborough, who's five foot eleven. So I think this whole mask concept would work better on a Pierce Brosnan type spy because Pierce is 6'1", yeah. rather than the 5'7", Tom Cruise, because then he'd be taller than a lot of the people he'd be dealing with. Yeah, it is a flaw in this whole mask and even the voice synthesizing concept, though. The the body formation, the body structure, the height, and yeah, it's, it's a little tough to believe. Well, that's true. I mean, you you look at, I mean, no offense to Philip Seymour Hoffman, but he and Tom Cruise don't exactly have the same build. Yeah. Um, So (laughs) them taking over was was kind of interesting in in, in three. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to the tape sequence here. One of our favorites. Yeah, absolutely. 
So now in this one, this is this is one of my favorite ones they've done. All right, so now in this movie, these guys come by in a helicopter. Ethan's been out rock climbing. Yeah. He's up on top of a plateau, and they shoot this, like, rocket kind of thing, and it lands near Ethan's feet. Yeah. He opens it up, and it's a pair of Oakley Romeo sunglasses with, as Q might say, some modifications. <laughs> now, yeah. these Romeos were real sunglasses at the time, but they didn't have the ability to do the video and audio stuff that happens here. Yeah. Four years later, Oakley came out with the Thump sunglasses, and that had the ability to play an MP3. So for with the Thump, playing that the tape sequence as an audio only yeah. would have been totally doable four years later. Okay. Yeah. So these glasses are kind of a cross between the Romeo, a Google Glass, which came out in 2013, yeah. or the Microsoft HoloLens. They give you the ability to look through the lens, see something on a screen, hear what's going on. Now, this movie came out in 2000, so they were way, way ahead of time on this. But what an awesome delivery of this mission statement. Yeah, and, you know, he was on vacation, right? So they had to find him, and he was incommunicado, basically, on vacation. And so, boom, okay, they shoot the thing down onto this plateau, and they get him. So I thought that was kind of a clever way to do it and an excuse as to why they did it because he was remote and incommunicado just kind of cool and, and they got pro product placement revenue out of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's a lot of that all right then naya has that kit to break into the safe into the in the bathtub there she starts with that compact case that has a that thing that shows low high to identify where the safe is and then she has what looks like a drill or maybe like a lock pick in a lipstick case then she has that magnet thing that opens up the safe outer door it's a fun scene it's a good scene so a lot of little gadgets going on there. Well, there's there's all the gadgets, and then just the repartee between Ethan and Naya is great in that scene. <laughs> yeah, a lot of sexual innuendo in that one. Yeah, there's a a lot of good ones. You mind if I'm on top? Okay, all right, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So then Ethan triggers the alarm in the in the house. Yeah. And it was pretty funny because. It's a good gadget for him. She doesn't see it, but he explains it to her later. Yeah, so, he's, he's, uh, he's triggering it on purpose, right? That's right, yeah. because so, at the time, you yeah. don't realize that he triggered the alarm. Right, right. So yeah, it, right. it's kind of cool. He had this stealth device to set it up. Then Naya's going to meet with Ambrose, but before she goes, Ethan injects an untraceable chip into her so that IMF can track her. Wait, wait, I have a problem with that. It's an untraceable chip that IMF can track her with. Hello? <laughs> I don't understand that concept. <laughs> well, I think that they can't scan the body and see it, I think is what they mean. Okay, I don't know exactly what Casino Royale, anyone? I don't know. I think there's... <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe Smart Blood or Nanobots yeah, or something. There's... I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Uh, anyway, Naya actually meets with Ambrose for the first time, and Luther's computer is able to see what is happening via a camera in a satellite because of the chip that she has implanted in her. So the satellite, of course, is a pretty big gadget here. This well. is one <laughs> convoluted <laughs> tracking setup. That yeah. I'm not sure. you got to really believe. have a willing suspension of disbelief for this one. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, so... So during that scene, there's a cut to Ambrose taking a media card out of a Kodak DC-290 zoom camera. We'll see this camera in different places in this movie as it plays an important role. This is another product placement as that camera was released in 2000 along with the movie. Now, I had a Kodak K1000 
camera at that time, digital camera, that you could also press a button on it and it would record your voice so that you could say what the picture is of and describe the surroundings or whatever you needed to do to describe the picture you just took. So that was kind of cool. So I had one of those similar kind of cameras anyway. All right, so let's move on to the racetrack. Yeah, that's always fun. Because in a spy movie, one of your episodes must have a racetrack in it. Yeah, some Bond movies had racetracks. Exactly. So Naya and Ethan talk at the track with the earpiece that she was given. Mm -hmm. Once again, this communication gear is small, flawless. You're in a crowded environment, yet they can hear crystal clear. I'm not sure I quite get that. (laughs) Now then, Ethan at the track has these binoculars, and as he's looking through them, there's this little antenna kind of a thing with a red light on it. Mm-hmm. And it's some sort of digital binocular, mm-hmm. and the light would give the ind- indication that there's Wi-Fi or some kind of uh, yeah. communication going on, and you know, so that Ethan can actually take whatever he's looking at and send it somewhere. Yeah. Now, Wi-Fi-enabled binoculars do exist. They're a real thing today. Yeah. But I'm not quite so sure if they had them back in 2000. Yeah, they've had binoculars for a long time that take digital photos. So you could zoom in on something, take a digital picture of it. But I don't know if it had Wi-Fi right back then. Yeah, because if it wasn't Wi-Fi, then it would have had to have been like Bluetooth. Because that's how they operate today. It's not Most of them are, there is Wi-Fi, but a lot of them do uh, yeah. Bluetooth to your cell phone. And yeah. And your cell phone's in it. What were the speeds of, of Wi-Fi back in 2000? And what was the speed <laughs> of Bluetooth? I don't even remember when Bluetooth came out. Their technology was very good. <laughs> well, that, that's true. <laughs> All right, we see but these they're binoculars. Cool, they're cool binoculars. Yeah, and we see them a minute later. This time, Billy Barrett has the binoculars, which wirelessly send the image to Luther. Yeah, um, so when Ethan's looking through them, you don't see the, you don't know that it's sending the signal. But when Billy's looking through them, you, you can tell. Yeah, yeah. Because you, you see Luther looking at that. Yeah, so a lot of, a lot of cool technology. that probably wasn't around then, but hey, this is what these movies are for. They predict the future. hey the spies have to be one step ahead of the game right yeah all right so let's get back to the kodak camera that we we talked about earlier yeah ambrose uses it to show mccloy something that mccloy's not really happy to see it's something about chimera and what's kind of nice is that those cameras had the little screen and you could play back the video on it so you could record a video on it and you could play it back so he's able to take whatever was on that media chip and play it back so that mccloy could see it yeah. Well, I mean, that's cool. I mean, that's pretty believable, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Abs- absolutely. Yeah. Oh. Then in keeping with all of this wireless communication to Luther, who's sitting in the van, Luther runs out of the van, hands Ethan a camera, which looks like it's the same model. Yeah. Except this time the camera has that same kind of red light thingy on it with the antenna that the binoculars had. So Ethan can wirelessly send the images to Luther in the van. Yeah. So he's wi- wirelessly sending the binocular image. Now he's wirelessly sending the camera image, but that Kodak camera couldn't do that at that time. <laughs> yeah, probably not. No, but hey, they have great technology. Are you kidding? They invest a lot of money and time in this. Oh, that's that's the <laughs> with with some modifications. I yeah. forgot. <laughs> All right. So after multiple uses of masks to have people look like someone else, we see the big stunt with Ethan breaking in to the biosite pharmaceuticals lab this is like the big deal ethan uses a laser glass cutter to break into the lab and i know you like glass cutters tom gotta love glass cutters <laughs> this is a larger 
This is larger and cuts a larger hole, but the James Bond movie Skyfall had a smaller version of this used by Patrice when he cuts the hole in the glass to shoot someone across the street, across the way. So, Tom, again, you, you love this kind of stuff, and, uh, and I know you love that sound when Patrice used it in Skyfall when the wind kind of starts coming through the opening in the glass because he's high up in a in a skyscraper type building <laughs> absolutely now that's a newer movie unfortunately there is a sound here in mission impossible 2 but it isn't even close to as cool as that sound in skyfall was <laughs> there you go you gotta love the sounds <laughs> all right yeah. all right so fast forward a little in the movie ambrose sends the infected naya off to be like typhoid mary into australia because during all of the stunts, there's not a lot of gadgets in the, in the stunts, so you have to go a little bit further into the movie before we get to this. Yeah. So Ambrose is going to send Naya off to be like Typhoid Mary, and more action ensues, but not and no more with the gadgets in this movie. So I think that's it about Mission Impossible 2, and it's time to now move into our discussion on the gadgets in Mission Impossible 3. All right, let's go. Mission Impossible 3, 2006. Mission Possible 3 introduces us to the character Benji. We love, I love Benji. He's a bit like Q from the James Bond movies. That means we'll get some smaller and cooler gadgets. This movie opens up with a reference to a very cool and deadly gadget. We don't see it here, but we hear Owen Davian's voice say, we put an explosive charge in your head. Now, we won't see the device until Ethan scans Lindsay and sees the device in her head this is a great way to have a gadget open up the movie because yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's rather an explosive event. <laughs> it is an explosive event. I mean, it's it's explosive. It's frightening. You can't see it at first. Yeah. I mean, yikes. Yeah. I mean, the next gadget brings us, of course, the tape sequence, which we always love, this time in a disposable camera. <laughs> it's great, really, how they come up with all the creative gadgets and stuff for the mission statement it's a piece of every mission impossible movie of course but handled differently in each one which is kind of neat i yeah, like and it. that and that camera did have a cool ability because it could scan ethan's eye to confirm his identity and it is again yet another product placement for the kodak power flash disposable camera which obviously didn't have a retina scanner in it yeah. but it was a disposable camera with modifications. <laughs> with modifications. I love these identity-confirming devices. Back in 1968, in the movie 2001, A Space Odyssey, Dr. Floyd was cleared to enter a restricted area through voice print identification. <laughs> I love that. This is 1968 they're talking about this kind of stuff. Yeah, and they have that now, but they, I don't yeah. know about 1968. Yeah. Now, uh, of course... As always, Ethan chooses to accept the mission. Yeah. And then when they get to the building to extract Lindsay, Luther has this fantastic setup. He's got these monitors with trackballs to remotely control some wicked-looking guns that Ethan had placed outside the building. Yeah. Luther also uses infrared technology to identify where the people are in this building. Yeah, that's good. And then as Ethan enters the building, he places some mines that he's going to detonate later. Yeah. So it's kind of a cool thing with a bunch of little gadgets in it. Yeah, there are a lot of remote-controlled weapons here, which is kind of neat. And they grab Lindsay and get her into the helicopter. And after they grab Lindsay and get her into the helicopter, she's complaining about her head. She says, you can't hear that? 
Somehow, this prompts Ethan to pull out a portable scanner, X-ray, CT scanner type thing. I don't know what this thing is. And it was small. <laughs> it was small. Now, so yep. he's going to scan her head and see the explosive device planted in her head. Now, he just happens to have this thing with him, which is pretty cool. Maybe they keep <laughs> one of these in every one of their helicopters. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> then amazingly, Ethan has figured out that it was a time-release charge they planted in her head and that it was going to detonate soon. Okay, so of course he has a defibrillator on the helicopter that he's going to use. <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing to me how he knew what to do there. Yeah. He had the two gadgets to help him, and he didn't even have Q give him what he needed on his next mission. <laughs> yeah. Pretty good. Pretty good. And These guys are well-trained, though. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, as, as this is cracking me up, now I remember growing up hearing about a term called microdot and Lindsay sent ethan a message on this thing called the microdot and we saw a microdot in the james bond movie you only live twice so there's a message on a microdot that they have to be able to read and she sent him this this message whatever it is then we get introduced to benji and he has to try to read the data from a severely damaged hard drive yeah now watching no time to die this scene here in mission impossible came to my mind yeah because in no time to die q gets this damage the severely damaged hard drive that he has to try to rebuild the information off of it here benji gets this severely destroyed hard drive that he has to try to pull some information off of. Mm. and it's I, I haven't gone back to listen but in my mind like if i didn't know better i would think it was a word for word ripoff between the two <laughs> movies i'm sh i'm sure it really isn't because, uh, you know, it's been a month since I've seen No Time to Die, so I don't have all the words memorized. Yeah. But it sure f felt that way to me. It's hard so, to come up with new ideas for spy movies. I mean, you know, well, eventually you're going to run into quite a few that you've used before, and we've seen it in James Bond movies from one to another. Mm -hmm. You see it again and again. Tropes. Well, that's, that's true. That's why we call that's, them tropes, right? Yeah, that's true. All right. Now, so we also don't see how he was able to read the data, but since we're doing a thing on gadgets here... There had to be some pretty high-tech gadgetry involved to be able to get whatever data he got off those platters. Yeah, they didn't tell us about it, though. No. <laughs> All right, let's zoom off to Rome and to the Vatican. There are quite a few gadgets in this sequence at the Vatican. At the Vatican, yeah. First, outside the Vatican, Declan hits a switch in his van to make it smoke. They, they wanted people to think that they had broken down. It's a nice, simple gadget to simulate a problem with the van. Now, it's very believable. In fact, it reminds me, Tom, when I was dating way back when, a buddy and I used to go on double dates a lot. And sometimes one of the girls one of us was dating would get one of her girlfriends to join us for the one who didn't have the date for the night. And so she found a second date. So she found out. She found yeah, out she found a one. date. Yeah. For, so, well, we rigged up my buddy's car so that we could flip a switch and the generator light would light up. Now, the generators, that was the thing that charged the batteries. You were driving along. They don't have those anymore. they got alternators and all this other kind of stuff. Now, but we could flip a switch and the... You're dating yourself, Dan. The idiot. <laughs> I didn't date myself. I had a date on this one. <laughs> and you could flip a switch and this idiot light would light up and say, oh, something was wrong with the car. So when we didn't like what was going on in the date or we didn't like the date she brought for us, <laughs> we would flip this and say hey something wrong with the car we got to drop you guys off you girls off and 
that was the end of the t- <laughs> that was the end of the date. And it worked. I knew there was something devious about <laughs> it, you, Dan. <laughs> it worked flawlessly all the time. It was great. All right, all right. All right. Well, you must have had a lot of dates that went wrong then. <laughs> no, it was just a safety device. Just you got to be prepared. Yeah, but to come up with that, you had to have something bad happen. First, which is why you always have something like that. <laughs> All right, so let's get back to the uh, let's get back to the movie. All right, Ethan shoots something. Wait, we're wait, we're we're back at the Vatican again, right? <laughs> yeah, we're back at the Vatican. So Ethan shoots something onto a camera that's up on a wall disabling it. And it looks like it's kind of the piton gun kind of a thing we see in these movies that yeah. he uses to shoot it. Yeah. And so now he follows this up with what we now see is a piton gun, and he uses it again here to shoot a piton into the top of the wall. He has a reel of wire on his belt, and he uses a wire to walk up the wall. What What is it with Mission Impossible and Bond with these piton guns? Yeah. I mean, we've talked about in the past about how these things aren't real, yet except in spy movies. Yeah. And how the gun would have to be like a bazooka, basically, to the size of a bazooka to actually work, and you know, whatever. Yes. But it's used over and over again, and I know when you see it's it, an it's an easy it's, trope. It's cool. <laughs> well, yeah. and it looks logical. Yeah, right. All right, well, this one does work, Tom. So <laughs> he walks up the wall to get near the camera that he just disabled, which is all right. That is a pretty cool scene, especially since we know that it was somebody walking up the wall. The way they shot it, almost because they came back on top of him, yeah, it almost looked like, okay, we're doing this because he's not really walking up the wall, but he really was, which was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. And then once he gets up there, he's got this small camera that he uses, and he uses it to take a picture of what he, the camera would see, yeah, yeah, the yeah. one that he disabled. Yeah. And we see this trope a lot in these movies. Yeah. So he takes a picture, and then he's got this little small printer in his belt that um, <laughs> yeah. prints out a picture, the, the picture that he just took. Then he mounts that in front of the camera, yeah. so the camera is seeing the picture, and the camera is going to somehow focus correctly on this picture that's two inches in front of it instead of this big panoramic view. But when the camera turns back on, it will show an undisturbed yeah. setting, so you won't see Hunt's movements. Yeah. I mean, right? it's kind of cool. So he does that. Then the next thing he pulls out of his little bag really gets me laughing. He's got this little device to measure the distance from the top of the wall to the ground. Now, with all of the research they've done, wouldn't he already know how tall the wall was that he was on? I mean, you would think why does they he would. need that device? But then they couldn't show you this neat little gadget. So, you know. So he sets the reel to that distance. Because this is actually what they do in all of those scenes in the movie that you see when they record the these scenes where Ethan comes falling down and mm-hmm. he stops right before he hits the ground. Yeah. What they do is they've got the distance measured. The reel will let out exactly the amount of of wire to get him to stop like three inches before the ground. All right. Right. So, right. so I think that's cool because they're showing you how they make those scenes in the in the Mission Impossible movies because they take the measurement, the reel gets sent, yeah. and then he goes and, and does whatever the dive he's going to do is. Yeah, and it makes sense. I like it. Yeah, right. it absolutely does. Okay, so once he's in the Vatican, he gets into the control room after using a lock pick to get in. That cracked me up. You thought, thought there was something a little more high tech there. And, yeah, hey. And Ethan plugs in a device into the network interface, which loops the video to have the people monitoring see a played loop. 
kind of like what he did with the camera up at the top, yeah. saying, here's the scene you're going to see. He's going to play a video loop so that the people monitoring just see this loop and don't necessarily realize that something else is happening. Yeah, it, this whole thing really comes out of uh, an episode on the television show, really, from the 60s, where they clip a device on the monitoring camera that has an image of the room, so it all looks normal when the camera's seeing it. So it's kind of cool. They, they black out the camera for a second. The monitor guy's looking at, oh, oh, and then it's it's back on. It's like, oh, everything's fine. So it's the same. It's the same thing. They took it really right out of the the television show. And we actually get a way more updated version of this in a later Mission Impossible that we'll talk about in a little bit. Well, Ethan is setting up the monitor loop setup here. Declan uses what looks like an SLR camera to shoot a tracer onto the manhole cover. Mm. And we'll talk about what that tracer is used for in a few minutes, but that's another device that gets used later. Yeah, I mean, one nice thing about this is camera was not really a product placement. <laughs> Boy, that's the first. I guess that's no camera first. company wanted to put their name on a fake camera that shoots a projectile. I don't know. Who knows? Who <laughs> <laughs> oh, knows? Uh, good point. All right. Okay. So a cross is used to mark one side of a wall. Well, he's dressed as a priest. He'd yeah. have a cross with him. He'd have a cross. Luther is on the other side of the wall with a device to read where the crucifix is. So that's believable because they have Absolutely. stud finders and walls and everything now. Mm. It's pretty easy to do. All right. Yep. In this movie, you also get a glimpse of, as to how the masks are created, which is nice. I like this. I mean, you still have to be willing to believe about the body mass and everything else. But, hey, why not? We see how they're made. I like that a lot. Actually. Yeah, I think it's really cool how this thing works and the way yeah. they, you know, stuff comes flying off of it. Yeah. And so I totally believe that this could do what they say. I mean, granted, not in the time they say you get the latex on it and get it painted and stuff. Yeah. But it's great that they show here. And it's actually one of my all-time favorite Mission Impossible gadgets is the mask maker in this movie. We'll see new mask makers later. I like this one best. Yeah. Now, this whole mask concept... <laughs> is really rooted in the real world, but actually came out of some of the movies and earlier shows. This woman, Jana Mendez, she's a retired CIA intelligence officer with over 25 years of experience in the service. When she retired in 1993, she was in the position of chief of disguise at the CIA. <laughs> nice title. <laughs> yeah. And in an interview once, she mentioned the use of masks. Yes, masks. She was doing a briefing for President George H.W. Bush and in this December 12, 2019 Wall Street Journal article by Elizabeth Winkler, Mendez says she was wearing a mask as a disguise to show the president. He couldn't figure it out. And so she, yeah, she peeled off the mask, <laughs> revealing it was her. And she, Just like on the TV show. Room, she did that. And so she says, so I took it off. And she's laughing. And she said, I did the Tom Cruise peel before Tom Cruise did. I, th I think they should call it the Jonna Mendez peel. <laughs> All right. So these masks are real. And at the time, though, she did not have a voice synthesizer. So, all right. But it's still pretty cool stuff. Check out her interview with the Commonwealth Club on YouTube as well. She says they, that they were really intrigued with the Planet of the Apes masks in 1968 movie and the work that John Chambers did as the special effects makeup artist who won the Academy Award for that movie. And he brought that knowledge to the CIA. 
So the CIA started making masks with their advanced technologies. And they had chemists working on breathable materials, physicists, everything. Of course, it's the CIA. So starting in 1968, they were doing this. The Mission Impossible TV show, remember, ran from 1966 to 1973. So cool stuff. Check her out. Janice Mendez. Great stuff. Okay. But here in Mission Impossible 3, we do get a little bit of an idea how they get the voice synthesizers to work as they capture Davian's voice, which they then use to synthesize or duplicate his voice on these devices that's attached to your neck in front yep, of your so neck. We, so we see how the voice synthesizer works as they're grabbing Davian. Then Jen drives this Lamborghini, a gorgeous car, yeah. and she stops over the manhole cover which has the tracer that Declan fired earlier. So I told you we we're going to tell you why that tracer was put there. It was so she could get the Lamborghini exactly over that manhole cover because they use that manhole cover to get out of the car. They blow up the car. People think Davian was in the car and that the car that Davian's dead because the car exploded with him in it. Yeah. And then Jen uses this other gadget. It's a remote detonator to blow up the car once they get out of it. Yeah. What a waste of a car. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it was just a shell. Right. That, that wasn't, that, no, that was a real Lambo. Ugh, yikes. <laughs> All right, so then, like in License to Kill, when Franz Sanchez escapes the armored vehicle where, where he's being transported after his capture, and through this series of events, he escapes as the armored truck plunges into the water and frogmen are waiting to rescue him and facilitate his escape. In Mission Impossible 3 here, Hunt's prey is captured. In an yeah, well, wait, actually, before you before you dive into that, so this is on a two-segment bridge, this Chesapeake Bay Bridge. Yeah, like uh, Highway 1 in Florida. Yeah, very he similar was. to the highway bridge structure, the Seven Mile Bridge yeah. in Florida that they used to film the sequence in License to Kill. So it looks very similar it does. here in Mission Impossible 3 as well. Yeah. And in here, in 3, in Mission Impossible 3, his prey is captured, and he's in an armored vehicle also, like we're saying. And But here they use a little higher tech rescue attempt. Uh, as, <laughs> Not just drive the van over the bridge. No. As Owen Davian, the captured black market trader, his henchmen free him by spraying the vehicle with something, and the metal then just shatters. Yeah, well, they know. hit it in the metal. metal yeah, and the shadow is it liquid nitrogen, or I, I have no idea what it is. They don't tell you what it is, but remember, you know, Goldeneye when Boris Krishenko is frozen stiff after he's screaming, "I am invincible!" So yeah. <laughs> this yeah, is something. I, when like I was it. watching that, I'm like, "What the heck is that stuff?" I, I mean, don't know what it is. Would liquid would liquid nitrogen be delivered in a foam like that? I have I mean, no idea. Definitely a foreign substance to me, but. Boy, when they hit that wall of that van, it just disintegrated. <laughs> I love that. I thought that was good. That was a nice, different take on an escape. Yep, absolutely. So then there's some more cool stunts in this, and not a lot of cool gadgets, but Ethan ends up with Davian, and Ethan uses a ballpoint pen to open the handcuffs they put on him. So the ballpoint pen becomes a gadget to open up the now, handcuffs. pens can be handy devices, Tom. During the that's true. <laughs> during the first lunar landing, the first landing on the moon in 1969, when the astronauts Armstrong and Aldrin were on the moon, when they went back into the lunar module to take off 
so, so they could rendezvous with the capsule orbiting the moon so they could return to Earth, they accidentally, with a backpack, I think, snapped off the toggle switch that they needed to launch off the moon. <laughs> and they couldn't flip the switch. So Aldrin took a pen and he jammed it in there and he fiddled around with it and got the switch flipped with a pen. So there's another yeah, good pen use. That's a low stress scenario. <laughs> yeah. So he uses a pen. Yeah. To get the the thing to get off the surface. Yes. The, the panic level on that had to be amazingly high. <laughs> These guys were pretty cool and calm, though. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'll get this. Anyway, go ahead. Okay. So, <laughs> so, anyways, after he after Ethan escapes, he calls Benji from one of the many Nokia 92 mobile phones that are used as product placements. And this is not just used as a phone. It's, mm -hmm. you know, there's tracking in it and all of that that they seem to do with all these phones yeah. these days. But again, it's another product placement for a gadget. Yeah. Well, and finally, like he tried to do with the defibrillator on Lindsay, Ethan needs to electrocute himself to cancel the charge Davian has put in his head. So Davian's put one in Lindsay's head. Now he's got one in Ethan's head. Yeah. Since he doesn't have a defibrillator here, he uses electrical wires and has Julia help him. Okay. Maybe MacGyver-like. Huh? <laughs> yeah. All kind right. of a weird ending gadget for the movie. Whoa, that's a lot of gadgets in the first three Mission Impossible movies. Check out our next podcast we're going to do for the next three Mission Impossible movies and all the gadgets in them. That's a wrap. This has been Dan Silvestri. And Tom Pizzotto. Of SpyMovieNavigator.com. Please subscribe to our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies, through your favorite podcast app. And give us a five-star rating. Do it now. Check out our videos on our Cracking the Code of Spy Movies YouTube channel, too. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it.